Welcome to Downstage Center, a production of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. We have a very special treat on Downstage Center today. We have discovered a very rare, lost Rodgers and Hammerstein show, a show which most people do not know even exists. I'd like to play you a little bit of the music from that show first, and then we'll get to today's special guests from that unseen, unheard Rodgers and Hammerstein show. Listen to this. Well, as you might have guessed if you were listening very closely, that was not, in fact, a lost lost masterwork by Rodgers and Hammerstein. It is, in fact, uh, the opening number of a terrific show called The Musical of Musicals, The Musical, which has been playing off-Broadway. It's already in its second engagement off-Broadway at the York Theatre Company. And the people who created the number from the Lost Roger and Hammerstein musical, Corn are in fact Eric Rockwell and Joanne Bogart, who are with us today. And they are the authors of the musical of musicals, the musical. At some point, can I say, call that something shorter? Uh, <laughs> the musical you, of you, musicals. Oh, there, that, that makes you it so much You can leave off easy. the last musical. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> the last musical is silent. Welcome, <laughs> Eric and Joanne. Welcome both of you. Thank you. So, very simply, tell us what we just heard and what it's a part of. What you just heard is the opening from our version of a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical called Corn. And what we've done, the musical of musicals, the musical, is one story, a simple story, that we have musicalized five different ways, the way five different composer, lyricist teams would have done it. And and the very simple story is, in fact, a classic but simple story we all know. Would you like to tell us the entire synopsis of the actual plot the of the musical of musicals? The entire synopsis is, I can't pay the rent. You, you must, must pay, pay the, the rent. rent. I can't pay the rent. You must pay the rent. I'll pay the rent. That's, That's it. it. That's the entire little story. And what we get to see as an audience is four performers right. performing the same parts five times in five different versions as they would have been performed by a Rodgers and Hammerstein cast, a Stephen Sondheim cast, a Jerry Herman cast, a Kandrin Ebb cast, and an Andrew Lloyd Webber cast. That's right. That's that right. So in the Rodgers and Hammerstein, I play the villain, who is the landlord. And you, you, must always, pay the rent. And you always play the villain. In yes, each. in all in all five variations. Um, so I am Jitter in Rodgers and Hammerstein, and then... Uh, uh, what do I become? The <laughs> Phantom Jitter in Angeloid Weber and uh, in Kander Neb. I'm Jitter. So. And Joanne, you start off as Abby. I as always in, play Abby. As an Aunt Ella from Oklahoma. Exactly, exactly. Uh, we sort of made up my part because in that little scenario, there is no older woman who gives advice. But in, in the musicals, we decided that that's... That was a character that we needed. Well, since you wrote it, you can invent the characters any way you want. That's right, and that's <laughs> what I do. Now, now I, I have to ask, because, of course, we want to know how you came to write this, but you, you have this, this wonderful bio in which you tell us so much about yourselves that you have appeared as performers in countless shows you've never heard of with people you're lucky you don't know in places you wouldn't set foot in, undaunted by their success as actors. They've embarked on yet another surefire career writing the great American musical. How it's did all you true. S- how did you start this thing? <laughs> this actually came about from being in the BMI Musical Theater Workshop. As I think by now a lot of people have come out from uh, Avenue Q, as you know, and um, 
Flaher- uh, Aaron's and Flaherty and all. It's a fabulous, fabulous place. I would recommend it to anyone. And had you gone into the workshop as a team together? Actually, no. Eric had been there first, and I came in as a performer for some things that he had written. And as a performer, I kind of sat and listened in on on the sessions, and I thought, yeah, I could do this. I'd love <laughs> to do this. So that's kind of how it happened. And how did you hit on this? Is Now, is this your first collaboration? Yes. Oh, uh, yes. So, and, and Joanne actually wanted to audition for the workshop. And like she said, I'd been in the workshop already, and we needed an audition piece for her. And the audition piece was... Follow Your Dream. <laughs> it's the first thing I ever wrote. And uh... and now it's playing off-Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> now, that doesn't usually happen. <laughs> so we wrote one song in the style of Rodgers and Hammerstein, uh, that inspirational ballad that, you know, like, uh, you'll never walk alone and climb every, every mountain. mountain, you know, and we wrote our own version. And so really the show started out with that one song that was written as its own comic piece and uh now it's it's the full show and obviously a few things must have taken place in between writing that song (laughs) and having the full show were you encouraged to develop it did you just decide you found it so funny you wanted to keep going actually the the first idea of it was to do completely a rogers and hammerstein parody for a whole evening we were thinking in terms of um, Little Mary Sunshine doing the operetta and um, Dames at Sea does the old and movie musicals. The Boyfriend, and all that. So we, so thought, we thought, why not write a whole evening that is a new Rodgers and Hammerstein musical? Um, so that's what we set out to do at first. And then we found that... It didn't seem that it would hold for the whole evening. <laughs> uh, and that we, we, started- could really, we could really compact all the jokes we wanted to make into 15 or 20 minutes. We could accomplish a soliloquy. We could have uh, uh, ensemble numbers, a dream ballet. We could get everything in there in a short amount of time. So then it became a question of, well, what could complement this? And that's when, uh, over Chinese dinner one night, we said, aha. Aha. (laughs) We'll do the same thing as different... Are there other different well, you, uh, composer lyrics? You basically have a very simple storyline as Howard outlined. As they explained it. Exactly. Yeah. So the and, audience and the gets it, for, for audience being so gets it real quickly. And right. you don't need more than 15 or 20 minutes. You get the whole parody. Exactly. Before I saw the show, which I must echo Howard, is hilarious. It's just a, a very fun-filled evening. Before I saw it, though, I was mentally comparing it to Forbidden Broadway, which mm-hmm. many of our listeners certainly know. It's been around for 20 years or so. Got innumerable CDs out. How do you or don't you compare this to Forbidden Broadway? This is not Forbidden Broadway. Right, Please right. understand that. But people must certainly say to you, "Geez, there's this a like tendency to be reductive." Yeah. Exactly. So, right. exactly. Yeah, so. Well, well, first thing, of all, we're big, big fans of Forbidden Broadway, absolutely. so it was like that's great. But he's already done that, and he's mm-hmm. done it fabulously. And as you say, for 20 years, our our the biggest difference that we have is that the music is all original. Generally, what the other is that they take. The, the actual music and set parody lyrics to it. But this is, the music itself is in the style of these composers. So it's not really Climb Every Mountain, but Follow Your Dream will evoke that. You'll and when you sing, Oh, What Beautiful Corn, as an audience like, member, at any moment I'm expecting you to break out with, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. Exactly. You come so close to it, but exactly. you don't really use a note from that other one. Right. You come so close to infringing on copyrights, but never quite get there. Exactly. <laughs> and, and the uh, lyrics, too, get very, very close. And everybody knows exactly what song you're parodying, and it's even more hilarious, I think, because of that. Now, and and it's I, also doing an amalgam. Each one is, it's not completely that. It's a combination of Climb Every Mountain and right. You'll Never Walk Alone. And the other is a combination of 
I'm in love with a wonderful guy because it's beautiful, 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 beautiful corn. Right. You can certainly uh, picture so. all the Rodgers and Hammerstein right. musicals incorporated into that one 15-minute segment right. or the Sondheim musicals or the Jerry Herman musicals as when uh, you know, you're, you as the diva, I guess it is, come out on stage. You can just picture Carol Channing. Right, right, right. And we certainly get that joke very quickly. And again, that one was a tough one because, again, not wanting to be Forbidden Broadway, we didn't want it to be a real dead-on Carol Channing thing. So it was, she has to be an amalgam of Carol Channing and Angela Lansbury and, and just leading lady type or whoever would be cast for that. So it's sort of evoking a type. Yeah. And were you writing specific. for yourselves? Did you always think as you were going through this that you would be the performers in it? Originally, we were. We, we did it as a two-person thing for a long time, and we were encouraged. Make sure you keep it that way. You're wonderful performers, and keep it. The, the problem with that is that it becomes an act more than a, a theater piece. And we very much wanted it to make a, a theater piece. So, so now you have two very other talented performers exactly. with you. Craig Falls, is that how you pronounce it? F-O-L-S. Yes. And LeVette George. Yes. And, and they are terrific. Wonderful. We were just so pleased with them. How, how did they come to the show? Um, did you find worked, them? Did they I find worked you? with LeVette 20 years ago in uh-huh. Summerstock, and I always knew she was the funniest ingenue there was, and she still is. Um, and Craig Foles is also in the BMI workshop. She, she must have been, been about, a, about an infant when you worked with her. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it is interesting. John asks about bringing in the actors, and when Pam Hunt, and in doing Reading Up, Pam Hunt was not somebody that you knew beforehand. So suddenly you had a director brought in to impose a structure on something that you'd thought up, you were writing for yourselves, you were always going to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. How did that uh, How did that affect the piece? It how worked, did that affect you all? It worked out beautifully, and I, I have to give a lot of credit to Jim Morgan at the York Theater. He was... One of the biggest things we're grateful for is for first-time writers, basically, is what this comes out to. What you're seeing is what we wrote. We didn't have people coming and saying, no, 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 you can't do this, it has to be this or that. He was so supportive of it, and he was the one who introduced us to Pam, who the same way she came in and she did... What we asked her to do was, as a director, do what we've done as the writer. We want it to look like a Jerry Herman show. We want Gower Champion choreography in um, in uh, the Candor and Air. We want Bob Fosse choreography. Do the same thing. Do your take on what these directors and choreographers would do. And she added the visual element that... Of course, we couldn't. Yet it's all that. evoked very simply with virtually no scenery to speak of. Absolutely. It's, it's, except it's for lighting and movement. Except and for one roll on staircase. That roll on staircase. Well, it's amazing <laughs> what a staircase can do <laughs> when you're parodying musicals. Especially when you're doing Carol Channing's entrance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you kind of need the staircase. Well, just for the listeners, uh, the show is extremely simple. The four of you are dressed in basic black, mm-hmm. not even a cowboy hat on, on a character when he comes out from the cornfield as Willie, uh, Craig performing Willie, much as Curly would be, not even a cowboy hat. Yet we, the audience, get it without that. Was there ever any consideration to make it a little bit more elaborate, a little bit of costume? There there was, uh, but I think in the final analysis, it was that it's best left to the audience's imagination, that they're going to fill in cowboy hats and haystacks and uh, white picket fences or whatever you need there Mm -hmm. better than we could do with backdrops and uh, clunky furniture pieces moving around. And then they would probably end up being sort of joke props so we thought that would kind of take the level of the mm-hmm. piece down a few steps so we thought it's better just to keep it mm-hmm. it looks more like a more of a tour de force it's to a, come it's on a so that we've type created all these worlds with very little right. now, to, to come back to the, to, to the writing of it 
did you have to, as as the composer, did you have to immerse yourself, Eric, in just listening to Sondheim or listening to Kander and Ebb, like for days on end, and then you could write, or is it just something well, you'd already absorbed? Well, I'd spent my whole life doing that. <laughs> so I was working on this piece unconsciously since I was 12. Okay. Um, so it wasn't a matter of when we decided to do do this, sitting down and saying, okay, I have to get to know the Sondheim repertoire. I already did. <laughs> so... Um, more what I had to learn is the uh, the mechanics of of uh, their distinct styles in the accompaniment. I had to I did have to do some analyzing to to be able to capture their exact techniques. And well, of the composers that are living, have any of them been to see the show? Yes, yes. <laughs> Mr. Sondheim came to see us, and John Kander came to see the show. And they were both very gracious, and it was very a gracious. huge moment. And you didn't hear from their lawyers afterwards, so everything's <laughs> fine. <laughs> when you were performing, did you know they were going to be in the audience? No. no, no. We didn't realize they until after. They wisely did not tell us that. Mm. We were just chatting backstage, and there's a guy with a little parka on, and he turns around, and it's Stephen Sondheim. My, my and the, the, the theater is very small, so I imagine you can see the people in the audience. Had you seen them sitting there, you may have... I, I don't actually. I, I, ne- I never see. You don't really notice. It's funny because the, cause the well, lights are on you, and oh, I tend to oh. just. I can look out. see the audience, and um, throughout the run, I always thought I saw Sondheim. <laughs> and, and every other performance, I'd come backstage and think that that bearded He's man the back there in the back. There's a shadowy, form of anxiety. That yeah. shadowy figure. It's him. He's here. He's here. I think the day he came, I I didn't see him, and it was. Uh, but it was uh, an amazing experience to finally meet someone who I've res- well, we've both respected for so long. Um, and John Kander, too, and um, Hal Prince has come. So it's been I will, I will, I will, a huge Kim. treat for us. I will, I'll give you a, a, a title for your next show, Seeing Sondheim. <laughs> Good <laughs> idea. The whole Good show idea. around it. Yes. <laughs> well, we yes. should take – we've been talking about the right. Rodgers and Hammerstein and, and the, the Sondheim. Sondheim. So why don't we take there, – there's two tracks that we talked about playing – um, Eric, do you want to tell us about these two? Because they're the parallel moments yes. as you dealt with, with well, dealing with the same moment as by we two said, different composers. W- we had to create a role for, for Joanne. And in every Rodgers and Hammerstein show, there is a wiser, uh, older character woman who often sings in a hootie mezzo-soprano voice and gives great inspirational advice. And so that was in place for the Rodgers and Hammerstein in response to the ingenue's plight of how can I pay my rent? Well, here's what you should do. Um, And then Sondheim, that same character, has a a surprisingly different take on giving the same (laughs) moment of advice. So we're going to listen to first from the musical Corn. We're going to hear Follow Your Dream. And then we're going to segue to that same moment in the show a little complex as it might have been interpreted by Stephen Sondheim. We won't we won't give away the joke until they hear the hear the song. And so I, two songs from that, the musical of musicals, the musical. That both of these, Joanne, are you in yes. the character of Abby as it would have been performed under these two different scenarios. Exactly. In the style of both Rogers and Hammerstein with Follow Your Dream and the style of Stephen Sondheim with We're All Gonna Die, that's Abby herself, Joanne <laughs> Bogart, of course. <laughs> Two very different worldviews. Very different worldviews. And actually with the, this character throughout all five shows, what she evolved to is really the voice of the composer and lyricist. 
because she gives advice in, in the story itself, she's the one who sort of gives their worldview. Obviously, in the Rodgers and Hammerstein, it's very heartfelt and inspirational, and it and gets darker with Mr. Sondheim, and... Um, by the time we get to Candor and Ebb, it's sell your body. It's very And I would guess that the, the name Abby was not uh, by accident. That had something to do with a certain columnist giving advice. Yes, There's a little exactly. bit of that when we get to Jerry Herman. We call her Dear yeah. Abby. How about some of the other names? Were they chosen for specific reasons? Like Jitter, your name, was that? They it's a combination Jigger, of Judd and Jigger. Jigger, right. And then we just read that in Green Grow the Lilacs, which is what Oklahoma is based on, the original name of Judd was Jeter. Oh. So it's a combination of all those things. But we knew that. We knew that. <laughs> <laughs> then how about the other two characters? June was, was from Rogers and Hamstein. From June is... Busting out all busting over. Out. Right, so of course. Knew it had to be her. And there's a confusion at first that her name is May. And exactly. And it becomes June, exactly. right? Right. <laughs> so we made her June, and then she's Junita for Revita, and she's... Um, Junife. Junife for... Or Jerry Jay Herman. Herman. Uh-huh. So... Jerry Herman, Stephen Sondheim, Lloyd Webber, Roger Hammerstein, Candor and Ebb. Candor and Ebb. I was going somewhere else. Where's Frank Lesser? Where's Meredith uh, Wilson? Where's Irving Berlin? Cole Porter. We thought are, there, are there missing Next segments time. of this? Are well, we did write <laughs> musical of musicals, the we, musical. We did write Cole Porter. We did a Cole Porter version. Oh, well, tell us. And it, it just didn't end up in the show. We didn't. The show, we didn't. It didn't need it. Um, and we thought about. Oh, I mean, I'm a I'm a big fan of Frank Lesser and Bach and Harnick, but the the thing about the five composer lyricists we've chosen is their voice is very very idiosyncratic, very distinctive. You can recognize Sondheim immediately, and and the brilliant thing about Frank Lesser or Bach and Harnick is they their own voice changes so much from show to show depending on where their show is set. Most happy fella sounds so different than Guys and Dolls that Frank Lesser doesn't necessarily have his own distinctive voice that we could uh, crystallize into one short musical segment. So what we'd end up having to do is Guys and Dolls or pick one of the shows. And what we tried to do is an amalgam. So it's someone with a body of work that you can draw a lot of parallels from from each one. Well, can you tell us a little about the Cole Porter that didn't make it? <laughs> Hum a tune? I mean... <laughs> No. No. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're saving that for part two of the musical musical. Yeah. Right? The special edition. I know it was going to be set on a boat. That's all I remember. It was set on a boat with showgirls doing a musical version of Chekhov's The Seagull. The Seagull. That's right. <laughs> but, but, but Sondheim's voice in your show is not necessarily the same from early Sondheim, like company, exactly. through later Sondheim. His voice has changed somewhat. Right. And I noticed you did not use the very early Sondheim, like Gypsy or West Side Story. At least if, if it was there, I didn't notice it. Well, that's right. because it was different Well, it wasn't his music, but it was his right. lyrics. Right, yeah. right, right. right. So. So. But I noticed that you've written another show, which is a parody of Mickey and Judy musicals. Yes, yes. golly gee whiz. So, so... The parody form appeals to you. It does. It does. It does. So it comes tell, well, we we even it, when we want to feel highfalutin, we we call it satire. Okay. We, the I'm satire. So, my form. apologies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we we are very attracted to satire. And um, golly gee whiz, we wrote for the Tada Theater, which is a youth theater here in New York, and uh, we had we had a great time writing that because we we got to review all the old Mickey and Judy musicals. And much like Musical of Musicals, the musical, it was consolidating them all into one. 
Might that might, might that see the light of air at some point, light of day? Don't know. It it was written specifically for young actors. Right. Tada is the, actually kids performing. Exactly, kids performing um, for the shows. Kids. So, so um, it might not be as sharp. Um, or sophisticated as it might be if we were doing it for a more general audience. Well, we've but it's thought very, about, very sweet. about it's working sweet on it, though, show. because it's, uh, it, it's a fun show. It There's a lot fun, of great though. songs in it. Yeah. On the musical of musicals, is there any consideration to taking that a little bit larger than it is now, such as an Avenue Q started way off Broadway? You know, mm. the, the, I think um, all the powers involved, um, producer, director, um, the, the two of us as writers, I think we are all intent on keeping it a small show because um, it seems to work that way. Uh-huh. I know that in subsequent productions, there will be college productions down the line, I hope, and regional theater productions. Someone will um, will do it in, in a completely different way and have a full chorus, and it could be done that way with a full mm-hmm. chorus and sets and uh, lots of choreography. And maybe and- just a pianist playing because, of course, you've got the show set up that the, the cast members switch off. You predominantly right. are the pianist, but right. but yeah. everybody's at the piano at one point or another. Yes. So, and would you go to see, would you want to see it love in a full to see production? <laughs> I would love to see a full production, hear it orchestrated. But, but for now, what we've done is gone just the opposite way, to keep it as minimal as possible. So the focus is on the subject matter, which is the music and the lyrics. If we start adding too many props and novelties, it might get in the way. So it, it's sort of a concert-type style has been imposed on it, which works well for it. And it's kind of all or nothing. If you were to go to the other way, you'd want it to really be fully realized, and then that's a whole different, whole different ball game. And well, Eric, we we heard uh, Joanne's work in that little comparison we played a few minutes ago. Let's hear something that that you've done in the show. Why don't you pick one or two cuts from the CD and set them up for us as your character Jigger or or your girl, whatever the names are in the various uh, okay. pieces. Okay. Well. I, as I've said, I'm always, I'm the landlord. I'm mm-hmm. always the evil villain. Uh, I'm the star of the uh, the Sondheim version, though. The landlord becomes an, a demonic uh, murderer slash artist slash landlord, uh, kind of like Sweeney Todd. Uh, but in the Candor and Ebb, we didn't quite know where the villain would fit in, except that, that there's a sort of evil quality to the MC in Cabaret. Mm-hmm. And so modeled a little bit on that, I became I became uh, Jutter. And Jutter... <laughs> with an welcomes, umlaut. Umlaut over the U. Yes. <laughs> well, one of our problems with structuring the show is each of the five musicals needed an opening that would immediately tell the audience what world they're in. Um, and Jutter sings a number for the Candor Neb that I think will immediately pull people into where they're supposed to be. The, the opening stage direction says, uh, the lights come up on a cabaret in Chicago. And then in a spotlight, we hear Jutter sing that that song. Not unlike Vilkomin in Cabaret. Very good. Very good. I picked up on that right away. <laughs> Let's listen to that From the musical of musicals, the musical, the beginning of the Candor and Ebb segment, Hola, Aloha, Hello, Eric Rockwell, performing that. We're talking with Eric and with Joanne Bogart as well at XM28 on Broadway, Downstage Center, Howard Sherman and yours truly, John Von Susten. After this show, 
finally comes to whatever end it's and it's been extended I understand till the end of August what's the uh, what's no the, until the, um, October 2nd oh, October 2nd oh, oh that's news yes. October 2nd okay yes. well maybe this will run forever I was going to say what's next for you but maybe this will be around for quite some time October well, we hope so yes you know something we asked people a couple of times on this show is always the, the, the effect of a long run there's certainly something about your show which won't want to say requires, but it's exceedingly helpful if you know the material that you're referencing in it. As the run has gone on, do you think you're constantly getting people who know everything? Do the jokes land in different ways or in different segments on different nights? What's that been like? So different. So different. It's such a diverse reaction. Um, More and more, I think, as the run goes on, we are attracting our target audience. We are attracting people who do know the material. And there are so many that do know the material. They're laughing at jokes that I didn't even know were there. Um, but there are audiences that that clearly aren't as aware of the, uh, the, the source material, in a sense. They don't know musicals as well. And they seem to enjoy it on a completely different level. They're smiling. They're laughing at at some of the the broad humor of it, and they have a great time. But we can hear that they're not getting tiny little references to to shows and stuff. That and sometimes even a particular audience, we we can tell that this is a Sondheim crowd. They'll be polite during the Rogers and Hammerstein, but they pick up everything in Sondheim, or vice versa. Some people are a little lost there, so. So Every night it's, it's, a, it's a different, unpredictable. But yes. now you think, interestingly, that more of the <clears throat> aficionados, this has become the underground hit of people saying, you know, you really yeah. got to go see this. You're gonna well, you're and gonna lots laugh. of repeat people. So many people after would say, "This is my second time. It's my third time." I told my friend we're coming again. It's it's that kind of show. I think it's getting a little cult following. <laughs> but I, I think, although it certainly helps to be familiar with the material, it's not imperative. In other words, the show will still be funny. Yes. Not at all. But I you mean, will you will still get more of it if you do know the material. Think, for some people who don't know really the, how to distinguish Rodgers and Hammerstein for, from Sondheim or don't know the musicals, this is a great way to find out. Mm-hmm. It's like a potpourri. It's like a buffet of musicals. And after seeing it, you can say, you know, I bet I would like that Jerry Herman uh, <laughs> because it's a great introduction to basically what these what these musicals are like. Well, it's it's a terrific show. I'm delighted to hear that you are going to be playing in it at the York Theater at least through October, maybe longer, I'm sure, when this started, because that'll make it a year at that point. You mm-hmm. really started up in November of last year, ran until about January, closed for a while, and then came back again in June or so. Yeah. So we think of ourselves as the little show that could, <laughs> the little musical that could. We just keep... Coming back. Now, we, of course, have listeners throughout America. If people come to New York on summer vacation, they want to see your show. How do they get tickets for it? Can you buy this tickets online? Smart Ticks, I think, S-M-A-R-T-T-I-X dot com. Uh-huh. I think that's where tickets are available online. Can you and buy it's it at, at the York Theater. At, at, at the York Theater. Um, 54th and Lex. It's in the City Corps building, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you can buy it at the box office. Say a little bit louder the address again. Uh, it's 619 Lexington Avenue. It's 54th Street and Lex. 54th Street, Lexington Avenue. That's in the, the basement of the City Corps building. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. The musical of musicals, the musical. <laughs> you have to get all those <laughs> musical credits in there, don't we? Our guest today on Downstage Center, Joanne Bogart and Eric Rockwell, the creators and stars of the show. A very funny show. 
and we really appreciate you coming in today. Our Thank pleasure. you so, Thank so you much. much. Thank you so much. I'm John von Susten from XM28 on Broadway. I'm Howard Sherman from the American Theater Wing. Please join us again next time. Thank you. <laughs>